0: Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the July 9, 2013 edition of Ask a Leader. Hope you had a lovely July 4th weekend, wrapped around a chance to reread the Declaration of Independence and one of the most subversive documents embraced by such a broad public. Today, I've moved around some programming uh, in order to arrange the best possible content for you. Later in December, we will cover the pervasive phenomenon, the insidious culture of overachievement and the toll it takes on students. Today, instead, I'm going to have two stalwart activists apprise us of many political developments locally. First, Carol Levers, a local chapter leader with the Progressive Democrats of America, will talk about their grassroots response to pending national legislation. And then Karen Clark with Women in Leadership will take up the story that continues. Hogue Hospital's decision to continue, discontinue, that is, so-called direct abortions. Please don't go away. We'll be right back after a short break. Welcome back, everybody, to Ask a Leader. The Congress returns to business after the Fourth of July recess, and it's time to take measure of what's happening uh, at the congressional level. My first guest today is Carol Levers. She is a longtime Orange County resident and is an activist for progressive causes. She is a delegate to the State Department, the State Democratic Party of California, and is a chapter leader for North Orange County progressive democrats of america carol was formerly a sales and marketing executive for various semiconductor and optical equipment manufacturers she graduated from uc riverside with a bachelor's of science in uh, biological science with a chemistry minor most recently she helped organize the march against monsanto as the group city liaison for laguna beach Listeners may recall when Dr. Bill Huntingman, also representing uh, Progressive Democrats of America, a couple years ago was on uh, the show talking about single-payer health reform. Dr. Huntingman is himself a state co-coordinator and a central Orange County chapter leader. Well, we're going to welcome today Carol Lieber. She comes to us today from Yorba, Linda. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Carol.
1: Thank you very much for having me on the show, Claudia.
0: Well, first... Uh, For those who may have uh, missed that one shot at uh, a little background on the PDA previously, first tell us a little bit of the background on Progressive Democrats of America and its inside-outside strategy.
1: Sure. Uh, Progressive Democrats of America was founded in 2004 at the Democratic National Convention in Roxbury, Massachusetts. It was founded by our own uh, Orange County, former Orange County resident, Tim Carpenter. Um, It was founded for the the purpose of moving the Democratic Party back to the the principles of representing the people. Um, A lot of our representation right now is not representing constituents, people. It's representing the interests of corporations. So Progressive Democrats was formed to, to try to move that back in and to firm up progressive uh, causes and principles for example um, social justice human rights health care for all uh, corporations paying their fair share in taxes uh, and just basic values of human dignity justice and respect
0: so what we're going to do today with carol we're going to talk about some leading uh, issues uh, Pending in the national legislative arena, and uh, that's going on in advance of tonight's meeting. I'll give everybody particulars in a bit about the North County chapter um, of Progressive Democrats America that'll be meeting for a dinner group um, business meeting. That is, um, we'll, we'll talk about several resolutions um, now pending, and I, I'm going to open though with um, it's on the. I noticed on the the government track dot us us it's. Talking, it's pre, uh, predicting that little is going to be happening with many of these measures just because it says uh, about 11% of the bills have been passed out of committee and only 3% have been enacted. So it's already giving us a dismal picture of what's uh, happening with the the uh, bills that have been sponsored and submitted over the last spring. So we'll start with the House Resolution One. It's the Humphrey Hawkins Full Employment and Training Act that was introduced in March by Representative John Conyers of Michigan. Tell us what PDA would like to do with that legislation. Were we so lucky to get this moved out of committee? It's not even moved out of committee yet.
1: No, I know. And, you know, that's a function of the, of the makeup of our, our current Congress. Um, there, there have been no employment bills passed by this Congress. It, it's, it's really a shame because this is the time when we really need a bill like the Humphrey Hawkins Full Employment and Training Act. Um, this bill is one that we're we're pushing, and we're making a monthly visits to our congressional representatives and or senators, and asking them to co-sponsor support progressive legislation. Um, this particular bill is uh, to establish a, a national full employment trust fund. And the purpose of that is to create employment opportunities for the unemployed. And it's—I mean, there's—it's it, a long bill, and I, I can't really get into all of the details of it. But it has some of the principles of the old WPA, where we have a, a failing infrastructure in this country, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And the bill itself would create jobs for the purpose of revitalizing schools uh... revitalizing uh, neighborhoods and areas that have abandoned buildings either uh, demolishing the buildings or restoring the buildings uh... to eliminate urban blight um, and, and the purpose of course is to to provide full employment uh, there are a number of uh, provisions in the bill that would also call for the provision of human services, childcare services, healthcare services, uh, education or recreation programs. And again, that's to provide full employment for for folks who have been unemployed for a long, long time.
0: Well, it sounds like from, you know, let's say, where the the center of uh, political thinking was maybe... 10, 15, 20 years ago, this would have been a very centrist kind of win-win. You've got more, empl- a fuller employment with uh, more people paying taxes. We've got infrastructure dealt with. That there, uh, where there's a deferred maintenance program going on now. That um, it's uh, it's it's remarkable where the center of gravity has shifted in our body politic. Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. Let's. Um, that's that is the one. Uh, the next one is the House Resolution fifteen seventy nine. It's called the Inclusive Prosperity Act. This one was introduced by Keith Ellison of Wisconsin. No, no, Minnesota. I'm sorry. Uh, in April of this year, the full title is uh, to impose a tax on certain trading transactions, strengthening financial security, reducing market volatility, and expanding opportunity. And uh, as it says. It's sort of a, a rhetorical point, and stopping shrinking the middle class. It's it's meant to amend the uh, Internal Revenue Code to impose an excise tax on the transfer ownership in certain securities uh, covered transactions, sort of a redistributive policy here. What's PDA's position with House Resolution 1579?
1: We fully support that. And that, again, uh, the letter dropped this month in- includes. Three bills. This is one of the bills that, that we're including in our letter drop. Uh, of course, the other two are the HR one thousand, the Humphrey Hawkins uh, Full Employment and Training Act, and the third one is expanded and improved Medicare, Medicare for all. But as far as the transaction tax is concerned, um, the. the the crash of 2009 was really created by the financial institutions and their uh, speculative um, practices. We lost $19 trillion. $19 trillion. This wow. small transaction tax would do several things. It would increase revenues so that we could... Regain um, some of the, the cuts to programs that we've had, like fire departments, um, policemen, um, etc. And it will also cut down on the high frequency trading. You know, a lot of speculative trading takes place in very high volume and very rapidly, and it increases market destability.
0: Okay, so a huge
1: this, this bill would give us additional revenue, and it would also help stabilize the financial markets by decreasing the, the speculative trading.
0: And so um, the the prospects, as GovTrack uh, gives us, it's it's very very difficult, very um, um, very remote that this is going to be passing. But it's really important for people to know this is. This is the imprint right now. This or the I'm sorry, the footprint of legislative uh, acuity, legislative engagement in uh, what are what is ailing in our financial health in the country. And so I'm um, you know uh, mindful here. This is uh, what you're working on right now. And um, for those who've just joined us at this point, you are listening to Ask a Leader on 88.9 FM in Irvine streaming all over the world on the web at KUCI.org. And my guest is Carol Levers, chapter leader of Progressive Democrats of America, North Orange County. And so uh, that was an additional one. When you were talking about another part of the uh, letter drop, and we'll talk a little bit about what the letter drop's like and how people can just join in that, um, that you were talking about expanding Medicare for all. Is that another another way of saying single-payer health care?
1: Exactly. Okay.
0: Exactly. So uh, that's, that's still a mainstay of that. I know that's where I've first met Dr. Bill when Dr. Bill was out and still is out on the street corners trying to bring attention in his lovely uh, scrubs when he's not on his emergency room shift. And, and I, I don't know, is there an, a North Orange County intersection that PDA uh, will uh, occupy from time to time to bring attention to these measures? Well, we, in
1: addition to the, the letter drops that we do, we uh, participate in uh, certain activities with other progressive organizations. Uh, for example, we've worked with a number of unions, Communication Workers of America Union, the Nurses Union. Uh, we've done work with um, Move On and um, some actions by the uh, National Women's Political Caucus. Um, I know very recently uh, we had a protest at the a Women's Forum that was sponsored by Ed Royce. Uh, okay, so we well, do we- a number of things with progressive organizations for progressive causes.
0: Well, as I'm noticing the prospects for these particular bills we're talking about, and we still have more to talk about, folks, that uh, you're, it's an uphill battle, and that coalescing, uh, it behooves... Um, the PDA uh, to take up with the the persistent and well-financed savvy of the, I want to remind everybody what it stands for, with ALEC, um, the uh, American Legislative Exchange Council, which has been uh, doggedly uh, infiltrating, <laughs> uh, interacting with the, the, the key players in this Deeply fractured legislative process, and uh, it's it's it makes it even more appeal uh, for PDA to to try to um, be a legislative uh, presence here. Um, so let's go. I'm going to go back to those measures we're talking. Um, there's the farm bill and SNAP. And p- remind us again, uh, SNAP's uh, acronym for. It's basically the food stamp program. Okay, it's it's but it, so what is happening here is. It's been a back and forth. The latest iteration of the Farm Bill legislation has been voted down. But the problem that it's a not uh, let's talk about the there's a a dichotomy here of the opposition to the Farm Bill. The Farm Bill that is trying to um, the essence of it is the status quo with the food assistance program however um, the amendments are either to um, to to reduce the funding of that and the problem with that is some people think some people are voting against the reduction of the food assistance program because it's not reduced enough so what's PDA doing with that
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, number one, we're happy that the Farm Bill was was voted down because at least that gives a little bit of time and and, uh, staves off any uh, impending cuts. Now, our representative in CD39, which is the North Orange County um, Congressional District, is Ed Royce. And Ed Royce voted no on the Farm Bill. But he voted no because he wanted to have even more Cuts to the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program (SNAP) or food stamps. So he voted no, which was good, but he voted no for the the wrong reasons.
0: So, uh, what is then the do you see as the future with the particular farm legis farm bill? Um, Proposals before because it's I know lots of things are stalled immigration reform is stalled many many really pivotal uh, bills are so what do you understand Carol Levers is the um, the the next step or the uh, the trend for this farm bill legislation?
1: Well, we're continuing to push and work on our representatives to con- try to convince them to not cut SNAP uh... it's an uphill battle particularly with tea party um, representatives like ed royce
0: and what's his rationale for cutting his it back? His
1: rationale is he, he does, I don't know, because he does not respond to any of our letter drops we've been doing letter drops at his office for um, many years and we have as yet to receive a response we ask for a response he has our contact information. We want to know why he has the positions that he has, what his positions are, and we get no response.
0: Well, while we're talking about Congressman uh, Ed Royce, can you, Carol Evers, give us the municipalities that largely make up his congressional district besides where you are, your Belinda.
1: Sure. It's Fullerton, Brea, Placentia, Placentia Yorba Linda, Diamond Bar, uh, Chino Hills, uh, Hacienda Heights, Walnut, um, and Buena Park.
0: Okay. So, anybody who's listening and you knows somebody, uh, there's uh, there's the where the constituency hits the road there. So, um Carol Levers is a PDA, the PDA chapter leader of Progressive Democrats of America in the North Orange County and what, let's talk a bit about um We'll 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 cover a little more legislation um, in a bit, but so we can give a few reminders about the event. Tonight is uh, going to be hosting a a a dinner meeting tonight in the North Orange County chapter of Progressive Democrats America. It's at 6:30. That's some people schmooze talk about what's coming up, but usually when I when I see grassroots activists schmoo- schmoozing, it's always business. And so this, then at seven o'clock, the meeting starts at the Lascaris restaurant at 1060 East Imperial Highway in Brea, and you will have a speaker. And that is Ida McMurray, and uh, I, I guess the best way to sign up for, the, uh, for attending, give everybody an idea how many chairs to put out around that conference table, is the pdaamerica.org, or is there a number they can call, Carol?
1: Um, they, can, they can email me. That's probably the best way. And that would be? That's C-E-L-E-V, as in Victor, E-R-S, at yahoo.com. Okay. You can just show up. We have the entire back patio of the restaurant. It will accommodate uh, 35 people. We usually have between uh, 15 to 30
0: people. Well, maybe anybody listening streaming over around that area might be interested, or other people that are not uh, not necessarily constituents can just find out a tremendous amount of information when activists congregate, and um, you could... Take away a great deal from that. And so what Ida McMurray will talk about, and I, I'm fascinated with the, the dichotomy of um, positions on this next one. Her, her topic is going to be on reforming the credit union cap. For the cash, uh, for the um, the loan cap for um, s- loans to small businesses. Tell us, uh, there's a PDA position, and I wanna I want to tweak that a little bit because uh, it it uh, there there's a dichotomy of opposition to this, and let's let's talk about that. What will Ida McMurray want to cover tonight?
1: Well, Ida is is actually going to talk about the bill and what the bill entails, and you know I I. I know of the bill. I'm not that familiar with uh, all the ins and outs of the bill, except for the fact that it will allow credit unions to loan out 27.5% of their assets to small businesses, which is not an increase over what they can currently loan out. Um, I think it would be uh, much more effective if they would make – the big banks, who are sitting on trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, if they would make them give out loans to small businesses. The big banks just aren't loaning to small businesses, and that's really kind of slowed down the economy and hurt the economy. If they had been forced to loan out to small businesses, I think our economy would have had a little bit more of a kickstart.
0: Yes, well, I I checked this out. My own, uh, the credit union locally does not make small business loans at all. So that's schools first. They're not players uh, in this. They don't have any skin in this particular game yet. I did check in, Carol, with the California Nevada Credit Union League and they said that the reason there is a $250,000 cap for loans to small businesses is it was what the bank lobby imposed in 1998 and uh, it's a. It looks to me like, and in, in one way that there's there's a two prong way to making cash more available for small businesses. That one is that uh, it seems like allowing for this credit union cap to be raised, uh, it will let the larger credit unions be more involved. Uh, will they will be more prosperous? This 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 might be a tide that was going to float more. Not just more credit unions, but more make more money available to small businesses. the meanwhile, and the other prong could be, to look at legislating incentives for those larger banks sitting on all of that cash also to free up that kind of asset that they're holding out on
1: yeah absolutely
0: so i that's if i were to be able to be so lucky to get up to north county tonight i would uh, you know talk to uh, the group about you know wh- what kind of position would could we could go at it in two ways because uh, it's that the credit union league really uh, they see a win win uh, while acknowledging that there is uh, there's there's much, much, much more capital uh, tied up with the, the much larger lending institutions that uh, have a, a real large role in uh, prolonging the the recession that we're all experiencing. Well, we are here on Ask a Leader talking with Carol Leavers. She is the chapter leader of the Progressive Democrats of America North Orange County chapter here on Ask a Leader, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Well, I... I didn't mean to um, uh, miss out. It was an important item with the SNAP bill. I didn't know until I was researching some of the um, text for, uh, or the script for the interview was, there were a number of congressmen, congresswomen, who participated in a very special way with uh, the food stamp Program to demonstrate something. Can you tell us about what those uh, stalwarts did and some of the names of some of them so we can pay, pay tribute to um, a, a tough project they pulled off recently?
1: Well, gosh, I don't have the list of names in front of me. I have a me, few. But basically, but- what um, many of the progressives in uh, Congress did was they agreed to live on a snap budget. For a, a, week. a specified length of time, I think it was a two week.
0: Oh, two week. weeks! Oh my gosh!
1: Yeah, and and they found it extremely difficult because they were hungry on some days. You, the, the SNAP budget right now is so small that it, it really is just a supplement. You really have to have more than just SNAP to live on. They were trying to live on just the SNAP budget, and it's it's extremely difficult to to try to accomplish that. Uh, trying to, to to eat on $5 a day is really hard to do.
0: Oh, my goodness. That's all it was. Well, Barbara Thanks. Lee of California and uh, Representative Matsui of California, they were uh, too near to us, but uh, it can be. Uh, Progressive Democrats America, their um, website, has more details about this. But it, it was a phenomenal uh, particular demonstration, and that was done just within the last... Uh, couple of months i believe so uh that so as we close the interview let's talk um, i'm going to remind people that your meeting tonight is going to be at lascari's restaurant at 1060 east imperial highway in brea uh starting six thirty, people will be gathering and at seven o'clock the meeting would start in earnest uh, you promise and then um you'll be talking about Uh, the Letter Drop campaign, among other things. And so how might listeners uh, know what is involved with the Letter Drop and how can they sign on to contributing in this way?
1: Well, uh, they can join PDA. They can go to the PDA website, which is www.pdamerica.org. And there's a wealth of information on the website. If you want to sign up to join a local chapter, whether it's down in the southern part of uh, Orange County, uh, which would be with Dr. Bill, or whether it's in the northern part, um, go to the website, sign up. There are email blasts that are sent out each month about the meetings. Dr. Bill sends his email blasts out, we send our email blast out for North Orange County and uh, they can start participating with us in in the letter drop events, our discussions. Uh, We usually have a a, a very lively discussion after we talk about the the letter drop. Um, We also have issue organizing teams, um, and the issue organizing teams have to do with um, Medicare for all, um, economic and social justice into corporate rule, civil rights and civil liberties, uh, environmental caucus. And the, the people that participate in those monthly calls to action give a report on whichever topic, the environment, Medicare for All, etc at the meeting so that the rest of us don't have to, to participate in every single issue organizing team call every month, but we get an update from people. So we have that, and then we have lively
0: discussions
1: and we'd love to have anybody that's interested in progressive causes join us.
0: Well I noticed that there isn't anything planned for the next couple of weeks in the uh, s- the central um, South PDA uh, chapter so um, you're you're the ones that's happening tonight that's this is Tuesday night folks um, at Lascari's restaurant or the PDA pdamerica.org is a way to find out all about it, and it, it actually I learned a lot. I listened to uh, a conference call that was a part of the website to uh, hear the leadership around the country reflect on the recent Supreme Court rulings, mostly centered around the Voter's Rights Act. So it um, it was um, it was. Quite a, a, a helpful resource to uh, see what was happening, what was the take on. This. They're very sophisticated uh, participants uh, in that, and I'm I'm not trying to be uh, condescending about that. I I just mean with grassroots activities, it's a lot of hard work and keeping sophistication amidst uh, these kinds of odds uh, under which activists are working is it's heady work. So I I'd like to thank you, Carol Leavers, for being on Ask a Leader, Carol. Leavers, as I've said, is the North Orange County Chapter Leader for the Progressive Democrats of America. All the best, and uh, I laud you for all the hard work that you do uh, week in and week out, Carol.
1: Thank you so much, Claudia, and I hope you can join us tonight.
0: Okay, thank you so much. Well, what we're going to do is uh, take a little break, and then we'll bring on my next guest. That will be Karen Clark to talk about Hogue Hospital's decision to discontinue offering what is termed direct abortion services. So please don't go away. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My next guest is Karen Clark, Retired partner of Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher, that is at Law Firm, folks, and board member of current board member of Women in Leadership. We'll refer to it as well sometimes in this interview. I've invited her to talk about what was covered. Um, and not covered with respect to the abortion services that Hogue Hospital has decided to discontinue. In Karen Clark's extensive portfolio of community engagement, she has served as a trustee of the Newport Beach Li- Public Library. She's been on the board of directors for the Democratic Foundation of Orange County, was counsel and served on the board for Planned Parenthood of Orange and San Bernardino Counties. Karen Clark has also served on the boards for the Freedom Riders Foundation New Directions for Women, and the Dean's Advisory Council for the School of the Humanities here at UCI. And for 12 years, I have to include these kind of details, she was the team captain for Outlaws. It's a team in the Newport Beach Soccer League. Karen Clark received her (laughs) Bachelor of Arts at Stanford, a Master's at the University of Washington, and completed a law degree at the University of Michigan. She comes to us today. I do believe it is Newport Beach, is it not? Corona del Mar. From Corona del Mar. All right. Well, now we're going to talk about. There's a lot to talk about with this decision made recently at Hogue Hospital. I'm going to quote um, the president and chief executive Robert Braithwaite, who said this was the right thing for Hogue. That was him verbatim. Hogue is an approximately a one billion dollar nonprofit. Regional Healthcare Delivery Network in Orange County, California, it treats nearly 30,000 inpatients, 350,000 outpatients annually, and it consists of two acute care hospitals, seven healthcare centers, and five urgent care centers. So that is a lot of healthcare business when a decision any kind of decision about healthcare delivery is made it affects a lot of people at a great number of facilities. So I believe um the trend this isn't a new trend. The LA Times, way back in 1995, saw it coming. The impact on a community from such mergers, as was the one between uh, Hogue Hospital and St. Joseph System. This such mergers often depend on whether patients have other places where they can seek services. So, Karen Clark, are you are you aware? Uh, that Hogue changed any of its internal procedures in considering the change and establishing this new policy about restricting what they call direct abortions, and we'll we'll unpackage what, where that language came from in just a minute.
2: Well, I don't think they had ever done anything like this before, so I think they had no internal procedures to deal with it. Um, several years ago, they did eliminate their pediatric services, but that was done in a very different way, uh, it took about two years, a lot of public meetings, the doctors were involved, the community was involved, and it was eventually determined that the pediatric unit was being used so little that it didn't make sense to have a freestanding pediatric unit at Hoag. Um, but this was a very different decision. It was done quietly, and um, there was no community involvement.
0: Well, um when I read about uh, one of the um, a physician, um, Dr. Sanson, uh, who I don't know, if she had Hogue Hospital privileges, but she has. She does. Okay, so uh, she seemed to uh, mention to the press that she she's not a member of the community. She is a professional delivering services there, and she was not aware of this decision uh, being considered.
2: Well, that's what the doctor said. There were about eight of them that wrote a letter to the newspapers. Probably, um, well, nobody knew about this until May, so it was probably in late May. um, In in um, to contradict what the hospital had stated, and one of the things that these doctors said was that when this merger or affiliation, it's called, was first announced, which was last summer, late last summer. They were specifically told that there would be no changes in services. And they did not learn that abortions would no longer be provided until
0: May. Okay, so there's a couple of things going on. There's a, there's terminology like affiliation versus merger. And affiliation seems like a much sort of a lighter approach, a less consequential kind of a label for what actually was a merger. So that, that, that part is a little bit... Um, Little, a little disingenuous, is it not?
2: I think it's disingenuous. It's, I mean, it's not technically a merger. They now have a common parent company. And the parent company has a board of directors of seven members, four of whom are from St. Joe's, three of whom are from Hogue. So okay. it's pretty much uh, controlled by St. Joe's other than some specific decisions that require a supermajority.
0: So that that will answer one of my questions when I was researching this. Is a you know who was uh, who had who gained more who needed who more and I, I don't know if we want to get into that part but it does it give us an idea of the um, how the um, policy um, influence is uh, distributed along the board there. So um, you were talking we talked about affiliation now let's talk about the the term direct abortion um, that term comes from I understand the ethical religious directive presented by the Catholic hospital systems and um, I uh, that's an important kind of of a document to consider when we want to know what hogue may or may not be considering in the future to provide but this up uh, the um, this particular direct abortion uh, refers back to one of the uh, Sections in the ethical religious directive that talks about what is permitted and what is forbidden uh, under uh, under that charter. And so, um, I'd like to. Um, I don't know if you had any comments about that language, where it came from. If it, have you had, you seen the terminology direct uh, abortion from anywhere be- before this particular affiliation slash merger had been occurring.
2: I had never seen it before, and I think that most people hadn't, but apparently it is one that is used in the Catholic faith in terms of dealing with medical issues. So so it's a term that has been in use for a long time. It's just that if you weren't part of the Catholic health care system, you probably would not run into it.
0: Okay, so that's that's important there. So on um, are you uh, concerned, well, it's, we've talked about this, um, the trend... Um, of the Catholic hospital systems, either on their own or through mergers, are they're setting some pretty specific policy nationwide, as we're talking about. Um, what do you see um, uh, as a concern and a trend this way? And locally, do you see that this has an impact on, we're going to first talk about people that are receiving the services. We'll get later on into uh, uh, the employee aspect for the Hoke system.
2: Um, well, yeah, I think it's a big. It, this is a national issue. This isn't just an Orange County Correct. issue. Correct. Uh, and in, in some senses, Hogue has gotten off easier than most
0: that? hospitals
2: that have been taken over by a by a Catholic system. Um, although in the long run, it may turn out to be the same. But we have kind of a, at least an interim where there's some protections. But um, the. I've read that, too. I've read recently that four out of five of the largest hospital systems in the country are Catholic. And, then, and, and another issue is going on in the state of Washington right now, where the Catholic hospital, through a system of mergers that have just occurred recently, controls almost 50% of the hospital beds in the state. Um
0: that's pretty phenomenal.
2: It's pretty phenomenal and most of these hospitals are governed by what's called the ethical and religious directives.
0: Right, that's what which, we're talking. Yes, we're going to unpack that. The basic
2: that. deal which is y- you can't um, there's a whole series of things that you can't do. You know, fertility treatments, uh contraception, um tubal ligations, abortions, uh, end of life directives, which is really a big issue for a lot of people, because they don't want to be force fed, um, and they will, they want their directives to be honored. And the and the the um, ethical and religious directives say that we will honor them, except to the extent they violate our moral beliefs.
0: Right, and when we were. Um there's a particular detail and in, in terms of what are called direct abortions. Um, there is, a and it's considered number 48, so that uh, I, people don't think I'm pulling this out of the hat, is where it concerns an ectopic pregnancy that the, um, I'm going to look for the word for word. I have it in case of, um, this is directly from the Ethical Religious Directive, in case... Of extra uterine pregnancy, no intervention is morally licit, which constitutes a direct abortion. And the read we have here is, an ectopic pregnancy must not be aborted.
2: Well, what I've heard about that, I mean, this is very bizarre, but what I've heard is that they can treat it by taking out the fallopian tubes. But they can't treat it by just taking out the fetus. So, in other words, they can make it so that the woman can no longer get pregnant. Because, it, in that case, and this is, we're getting to this whole issue of what is a direct abortion. Correct. An, an indirect abortion is an abortion that occurs in conjunction with treating some other disease. And an ectopic pregnancy is, a, is an example because you can treat an ectopic pregnancy by removing the fallopian tube, which would be okay because you're, tr- you're treating just the, uh, the problem with the fallopian tube. But if you just snatch the fetus out, then that's actually an abortion. Well, let's... Even though the end result is the same, the fetus is gone but... in either event.
0: But to be intellectually honest about that, Karen Clark, and to be, I mean, neither of us are, we're not medical practitioners, but right. I, I think there is a serious flaw in that kind of uh, distinction. There's nothing wrong with the fallopian tube. It's where the fetus is. It's not, yeah. There's nothing clinically wrong with the, the tubing.
2: Yeah, well... I agree with you completely, but, you know, it's a matter of of faith. I I mean, to me, that's the problem. It's a matter of faith, and if you believe that, you know, God bless you. Have your fallopian tube taken out. But what I think a lot of people are concerned about is that these moral judgments are now going to be imposed on everybody regardless of their religious beliefs.
0: And so you you raise a specter of the... um both ends of the, uh, the the life cycle. The for, uh, oh yeah, I'll leave it at that. The, the um, first about uh, the conception aspect, and then the the end of life. And there are uh, a number of provisions where the and I'm I'm actually going to read it directly from the revised directive. And I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this. It came out the most recent it, Ethical Religious Directive came out in December of 2009. And I, I might also, just as an editorial comment mention it's very difficult to seek out those directives. I think they're keeping that one close to their... Uh, doctrinal chests there and I, it's hard for the general public to be uh, fully acquainted with the verbiage which is driving so many policy decisions but anyway the um, that the as you were talking about some end-of-life um, issues that uh, the d- directive says that patients who both can be fed and hydrated and who have benefit from being provided with food and water even by artificial means. Artificial means should be as a general be fed and hydrated. In other words, there is a general moral obligation to provide patients with nutrition and hydration. And so uh, many of us have experienced where there's some very gray areas at end of life situations where we, uh, we would like uh, for a, for nutrition and hydration simply to be discontinued but there is a a, um, a default in the out of the ethical religious directive that says we're going to make sure that person remains continues to be hydrated and and fed that's right so th- this uh, and I, I thought boy I better go back to my advanced directives and uh, say which hospital I want to go to but but that could change from year to year who's <laughs> in charge of that one well, so that could
2: change- and, and currently, you know, the hoax situation i said had is that, that they've gotten off easier than a lot of these hospitals that have been taken over. And that apparently their agreement, and I'm not sure who's actually seen the real agreement, where I'm getting all of my information is from the, the attorney general has to approve these affiliations.
0: Good. We're going to just, talk about her. Yes.
2: Yeah. And, and, and there is a, an outside consulting group, that did a 100-page document on the impact. It's kind of like an environmental impact statement, okay. only it's a medical impact statement. The impact of this affiliation. And it goes through and it describes what's in the affiliation agreement. So that's kind of where I've gotten my information. But what what the agreement says is that Hogue is not going to be subject to the ethical standards, at least not initially. I mean, there seems to be nothing in there to prevent – that being adopted later. Correct. What they are um subject to is what's called the statement of common values, which is yes. different and that's the one that specifically says no direct abortions. Yes. And that is the one that was clear this report came out in December. So it was clear at least from December or prior to that that this affiliation would no longer permit any direct abortions. To be performed at Hogue, and yet the doctors didn't find that out until May.
0: And that the, this, much of this was discussed last August of 2013. For those of you who just joined me, you're listening to Ask a Leader here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming to hospitals and clinics and homes and offices around the world on KUCI.org. My guest is Karen Clark, Board of Directors uh, for the um, Women in Leadership and a bipartisan, pro- which is a bipartisan pro-choice political action committee, we're talking about Hogue Hospital's recent decision to ban what is called elective uh, elective abor- well elective abortions well, or direct different. abortions. Yeah, well, yes, uh, they call them direct, but uh, it's uh, uh, it's the press is sort of uh, moving back and forth. It's understandable. And the uh, excuse, <clears throat> the um, the issue here is the, the impact statement they're talking about. That was what um, Attorney General Kamala Harris issued in, I believe it was December of this year, or uh, right, January right. of this the year. The
2: report was issued in December, and the Attorney General made its decisions on approving the affiliation on the basis of that
1: third-party report.
0: Now, to the best of your knowledge, Karen Clark, though, the uh, due to the clamoring, and we'll talk about that clamoring and the physical form it took last month outside uh, the Hogue Hospital, that the Attorney General's office has now putting a bit of the brakes on uh, some of the formalities, I don't know, are, they're reconsidering uh, their pronouncement because like you were saying earlier, the transparency that was um, a feature of the um, reducing or eliminating the pediatric services, that transparency was not at all uh, a feature of the the abortion services that were discontinued. So, um, what do you understand is uh, Kamala Harris's um, the the process underway to uh, re-investigate the charter between this hospital uh, merger?
2: Well, my understanding, and the the attorney general's office doesn't isn't really being very forthcoming as you might expect. But I think there are really two issues. They're looking at. And one is that Hoag told the Attorney General's office and the, and the outside uh, consulting firm that there were fewer than 100 abortions being performed annually at Hoag. Um, now, the doctors have stood up and said, Wow, that is so far off. Okay. Um, they're saying it's How far? In the thousands. Okay. I've heard the number 3,500.
0: Okay. A so different number than I 100. Think-
2: yeah, so I think the attorney general is saying, "Whoa, well, wait a minute! You gave you didn't you gave us wrong information?" Um, and then the hospital has also promised that they will refer all their abortion uh, patients elsewhere, but they haven't done that. That hasn't happened. Um, and so I think that that's another concern that the attorney general's office has. Those are the two specific concerns. That I have heard about, and I do not know where the process is at this moment, but I know there's a lot of people um, emailing and writing the Attorney General's office at this point saying, hey, what's going on? We need you to do something, preferably reverse the approval, but you, you really need to deal with it.
0: Well, maybe uh, the request uh, constituents, maybe listeners listening to this program this morning, uh, the the first request could be about transparency, and then go from there to um, uh, talking about those inconsistencies of uh, services that are rendered and the the lack of the follow up, if not this in, this um, public, uh, if not public, if not this. Household uh, venue, then where do, do we go? That kind of a thing. So, right. and so we're talking about the patients. Now, there's also a, an entity, a stakeholder, and that's the employees at the Hogue Hospital. D- is it likely that they're going to see their own coverage change of, uh, in healthcare services?
2: Well, that's really a good question. There are so many un- unanswered questions at this point uh, about who makes what decisions. Um, because there are certain things that are left to the Hogue board to decide, and it's unclear exactly whether employee benefits are, are one of those. And it's not clear what the board might do, what the Hogue board might do, because St. Joe's will kind of control the purse strings since they control the parent company. Um, so that they have a lot of leverage to... Um, cause Hogue to bend to their will, even if it's not a direct mandate. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Now, the Attorney General, and you've probably seen the approval letter to the affiliation, that has a bunch of conditions. And a lot of the conditions are things like, you're not going to change a lot of stuff. Um, We're not going to change women's health. That's pretty specific, other than abortion. And the rest of it is a little bit vague. So... There's some protection for patients and perhaps employees for the next up to 10 years. But after that, I think it's open season. You know, anything can happen.
0: And 10 years isn't all that long. And with the things that are in play, people are tending to various uh, other emergencies. That could go by in a heartbeat. Pardon exactly. that bad, badly applied pun. and then. <laughs> then, and then somebody realizes they're caught up in a plan that's uh, giving them precious little to work from in terms yeah. of, uh, you know, the, these are very gray areas that people are drawn into. whether it is um, uh, post-conception or um, at the end-of-life kinds of uh, medical decisions that are being made. Well, we don't have tons of time left, but I think it's really important. There there was a coverage of the rally that was staged outside of Hogue at the end of last month, around right. 25th, 26th, uh, I believe. And so uh, you were there, and yes. I think uh, you can be our personal correspondent about what you took in, and especially emphasizing what wasn't covered that you saw uh, in the press. It was, a, it was a different kind of a, 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 a turnout than you might have expected.
2: Uh, well, yes, the, the um, anti-choice forces were out in mass and And it turned out the people that were sent out were these little kids. Really? It was the most disturbing thing that I have seen. These kids were bused in, and I think that they were um this group called the Survivors of the american holocaust okay. and and the, their name comes from the fact that they have they are alive because their mothers didn't abort them. Wow, which is like we well, gotta be kidding, but anyway. There were kids like twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old, who were the the mainstay. There were, you know, there were a few other adults who were there supporting hope, but the mainstay were these kids with these professionally made big signs with the, you know, the feet, stages of the fetus in it and stuff. Um, and they were they were run by these middle aged male handlers My who goodness. were um, really inappropriate in my view. I mean, I had a guy speaking to me and saying stuff to me that I really couldn't, I certainly couldn't repeat on the radio, and I can really hardly repeat it to friends. It was so obscene.
0: But this was repeated, and it reiterated to 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds, yeah, pre- yeah. prepubescent children.
2: Yeah, so it was, and apparently this group, the survivor group, they, they take these kids out San Bernardino. actually at the time there I, I went onto the internet and looked this up there was actually a training camp going on in Silverado Canyon for these kids and I have a feeling they were bussed down from there. they take them for a week or two weeks and they teach them how to demonstrate and how to disrupt demonstrations uh, wow. and I believe based on press reports of what you probably saw—one of the doctors at Hogue who has performed abortion—his his home was picketed, and yes. people were yelling. And I read in the press that it appeared to be young children. So my guess is it's the same crowd that was sent over to this doctor's house.
0: So that's the farm team, then.
2: That's the farm team, and wow. and uh, you know those of us who were there were just really, you know, we tried to talk to these kids like. You know what are you doing out here? You don't even, you know, you haven't even, you know, you're not even sexually mature yet. How do you, what do you know about this?
0: Which well, that's disturbing, Karen Clark. Um, it was very I mean, disturbing. I mean the, it, yeah, it's I and I that's why I'm having you on today because I, I I'm very concerned about the coverage of that kind of. Of activity and it, you know, it just it just doesn't truck with all the work that's being done to um, talk about the ethical way that the um, the Catholic um, health services, hospital systems, are trying to perform. And when you have that this kind of a, a grassroots response, it just it just doesn't uh, distinguish the movement there one. At all, so um, I, I'm glad that you could let our listeners know. Well, I really appreciate Karen Clark. You're taking the time out to post us on what's going on, and if you would like to um, give people a place to to go, um, a resource that they can follow up their righteous indignation about not only the asymmetry but the lack of transparency and the let's say the one direction this healthcare delivery system seems to be going. What is a, a good uh, series of uh, websites for people to go to
2: Oh good question well, you can always go to the women in leadership website although we don't it's not as as well documented there as we would hope um, uh, one of the things that you could do is to email the attorney general's office. Okay. And and the person there uh, to email is the w- the woman who was handling this thing initially, and I think is still handling it. Yes. Somebody named Wendy Horwitz. Okay. R e n d i. Well, her email address is r e n d i dot horwitz h o r w i t z at doj, standing for Department of Justice.
0: Rendy. W- Rendy w- starts with an R Wendy.
2: Wendy. Wendy. But starts it, with a W but her- W E N D I.
0: Okay. Wendy. It. Wendy Horwitz. Horowitz.
2: Hor- Horowitz. Horwitz. Okay. at D O J dot dot gov.
0: Okay. All right. And
2: I and I expect that she will be handling I I mean that's kind of where we're focused now is to try to make sure that the Attorney General follows up on this and that there's some you know, some fire built under them to understand. One of the things in reading this report, it was disturbing to me, the report that was prepared for the Attorney General, is it said there appears to be no opposition to this affiliation.
0: Okay. Well, and, this so. is this is where the rubber's going to hit the road, Grassrooters, listeners, um, uh, opportunity to... Um, Stem this tide. (laughs) I'm right. Okay. Well, Karen Clark, thank you. I'm just running over. George Rosales is so used to this. Karen Clark, she is the board member, uh, board of director member with Women in Leadership, and talking about the Hogue Hospital merger with St. Joe's and the decision to uh, discontinue uh, abortions at their facility at Hogue at Newport Beach. Karen Clark, thank you for being on Ask a Leader today.
2: thank you for having me.
0: Well, that's going to wrap up our show. We are going to bring on George Rosales in just a minute. Thank you for listening. Next week, we'll have the pleasure of hearing from Julie Fisher, author of Importing Democracy, the Role of NGOs in South Africa, Tajikistan, and Argentina. It's going to be a really a timely appearance uh, with where we can mind a lot of current developments with someone of her expertise. Next up, as I said, is George Rosales with his hat. Thank you for listening, everybody.